We're talking about our testimony of righteousness. And of course, the book of Romans is where we're going to find ourselves in the next few weeks. Beginning in chapter 12 and 13, now we're in chapter 14. Just a reminder, the outline of Romans is called the book that changed the world. If you only had one book of the Bible to choose, and you have all of them, uh, you would love the book of Romans. It'd be very hard to leave it on the table if you could only pick one of the 66 books. Because it really encapsulates Christianity. It starts off with sin. Then it goes to salvation, chapter 4 and 5. Sanctification, chapter 6 through 8. The sovereignty of God in relation to salvation in the nation of Israel, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And chapter 12 through 16, it speaks of service. And also it speaks of a testimony in the world. As we spoke about this morning, your testimony, your ser- sermons whisper, but our life shouts. What we say is one thing, how we live is another thing. And people are watching you. You say, well, I'm only one person in the world, but you're the world to one person. Someone gets their opinion of Jesus from the way you live, what you do, where you go, how you conduct yourself, how you drive, how you take care of your family, how you take care of your property. They're watching you continually. And that's good. He said, let your light so shine before men. Be a light. We're moonlight Christians. We don't have light in ourselves. Our light comes from God, just like the moon doesn't, it's just a rock. And it reflects the sun onto a dark planet. And we live in a dark place. It's getting darker by the minute. And we need to be light in a dark world. Jesus is the light of the world, but he's lit us up. And we should be a light to other people. And we see in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and I will not review all of that, chapter 13, in regards to our honoring of our government officials and living honestly in the daytime and making sure that we're above reproach in our actions. But chapter 14, he kind of comes into the house of God, if you will. He says, this is one of the things you have to learn to get along with each other. I wonder how much pain And disappointment has been caused in the world because Christians couldn't figure it out. Because Christians could not work out their problems. Even in the unsaved world, they say, oh, these, these, why are they so segmented? Why do we have First Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, Third Baptist Church? Everybody wants to go to a different church. And one guy who was stranded on an island one day, and and, uh, when they rescued him, They said, okay, you built your house, but then there's a church here and another church here, and you've been the only one on the island. He said, what's what's this church? He goes, this is the church I I go to. What's the other church? That's the church I used to go to. (laughs) You're thinking, what in the world? But boy, people church hop, and they get mad with this. Well, I don't like a big church. Well, I don't like a little church. Well, I don't like this. And it's all about what we like. And uh, I think we got to be careful. And then usually there's going to be a conflict, whether you're in a home, in any institution, a school, a prison, a, a church, you're going to have interpersonal conflicts from time to time. And how we see one another is very important. Just a quick review, let's look at verse number one, and let's just kind of just give the oversight here. Him that is weak in the faith, by the way, are there people that are saved that are weak? Yes, don't be one of them. Let me encourage you, don't. Now, every one of us are different stages. And he's going to teach the people here in Rome. He said, listen, in your church, you've got to view people and understand where they are. 
Now, one of the greatest gifts of God's people is when they mature to a place where they understand why, where people are coming from. They don't expect everybody to be just like them. Well, one of the aggravating things I hear sometimes, well, if, if that would have happened to me, I would have done this. Or can you believe they did that? If I did that, I'd do this. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, you're not the plumb line. <laughs> Just because you think you want everybody treating you the way you think you would treat other people, that's not, that's not the measuring stick. We need to look at people and see them at different stages of Christianity. Every Bible-believing, soul-winning church ought to have people in all stages. We have people that are getting baptized tonight that got saved just recently. We have people who have been saved for 50 years in this room. We've got folks who have been there, done that. They know the Bible. They can, I was in discipleship this morning, and some folks were in there, and they could, they could, find, um, they could find Haggai if I asked them to find it in a matter of seconds. And some people would still be looking at the end of their Bible trying to find it. Some people couldn't find John this morning. We got stages in all things. But he said, I want you to look at people and I want you to learn to figure it out. And he's going to talk about two things that were a problem in Rome at the time and diets and days. Can you say it with me? Diets. That was their problem. It's not our problem so much today, but in this time, God uses this as an example. It was over whether or not you could eat a ham sandwich as a Christian. Whether you could have bacon with your breakfast as a Christian. Well, somebody's excited about bacon out there. Okay. That was the argument. It was like, is there, are there dietary foods we cannot eat religiously? Now, all of us ought to consider doing a better job with nutrition in our bodies. I think it just goes without saying. Our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit of God, and we need to be careful how we take care of it. How we feed it, how we exercise it, how we rest it, all of those things are very important. But religiously speaking, in when God set the nation of Israel, He gave them kosher laws. He gave them rules. He said, I don't want you to eat this, and I don't want you to eat this, don't you eat this. But when He came to pay for sin, His cross blotted out the ordinances of those things which were against us. And Peter learned that. When Peter thought that salvation was primarily and most directly only for the Jews, God sent him um, a vision, and it was, it was animals that he was starving, he was hungry, and God gave him these animals, and he goes, hang on a second, I don't eat pork, and I don't eat catfish, and I don't eat shrimp, and I don't eat those things that are they're scavenger fish and scavenger animals, and they're not, they're not the ones that you told me to eat back then. I'm not doing that. He says, I want you to kill it and eat it. He says, because that's not important anymore. And he's primarily taken between the Jewish and the Gentile. But it was a problem there, and it caused dissension. Some people had been raised in that Jewish culture, and they still had a hard time with that. And they felt like, you know what, everybody should eat this way. So it was diet, and then also it was days. It was the, the Pentecost and different feasts that were there and so forth, and the Sabbath day. And even today we have Seventh-day Adventists and, and others who are really strict on that Sabbath day, and they think that Sunday worshipers are, are really anti-Christ, and you shouldn't do that. You should only still do it on the Sabbath day. 
And we see that God could have many times changed that, and he did not. Matter of fact, he rose on the, on the first day of the week. He met with his disciples on the first day of the week. And all through the scriptures, he reminded us, it was on the first day of the week. He said, upon the first day of the week, let every, mind, every man lay by in stores. God has prospered him. That's where on Sundays we ought to bring our worship to the Lord, even in tangible tithes and offerings and gifts on the first day of the week. So he, he set the pattern there. But it was still some scuttlebutt going on. It was still some arguments going on in the church of Rome. And Paul hit it on real quickly. And he said, look, some of these things are kind of gray areas. They're not black and white. And God has a lot more liberty with his kids than we do with each other. And people were going to the wall on these things, and it caused dissension. And they weren't thinking right about it. And so he's going to try to help them with that. By the way, our testimony on how we conduct ourselves with other brothers and sisters is extremely important. Because what happens in here doesn't stay in here. If you've got a problem with another brother and sister in Christ, it will affect the world that they live in. You get on Facebook and give your opinion about stuff, and here's what happened to me, and I don't appreciate that, and all this stuff. It's going to affect other people. And he says, listen, no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. And he'll go on to say there are three things in, in, in our testimony. We need to understand God and other people. There's three things about other people we need to understand. Number one, they're accepted by God. He said, he said, look at verse number one. Let's just see it real quickly. You can see it. And the Bible says, him that is weak in the faith, receive you. Why should you receive them? He said, not to doubtful dispensations. That means don't get, don't allow arguments to take place about doubtful things. Some of you, if I asked you to raise your hand, you would raise your hand. You're naturally a debater. You like to debate. You like to argue. You like to, to, to kind of, to, to, uh, you know, when people are talking about something, you're thinking of what you're going to say when they shut up. <clears throat> and you're going to think, how am I going to debate with them? How am I going to do that? That's all right. I mean, there's, an, there's analogies to that, that you're really probably good apologists and things of that nature. But he says, look, whenever someone who is weak and they're, they're saved, but they're weak, he said, I want you to receive them. But I do not want you to allow arguments over doubtful things. He wants us to keep the big picture here. Verse number two, let's look at that. The Bible tells us here, For one believeth that he can eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. He lays it down. He said, look, the Bible's very clear. We can see it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's, it's not about the food anymore. It may be good nutritionally, but you can't biblically say you can't eat a piece of bacon. Biblically, it's not, that's not true. But he said, he said, he said it, it, if a uh, person says to me, all I can eat is just vegetables and herbs, I can't eat the meat, they, they don't understand God's Word. If they say that from a biblical standpoint, that's not true. There are some wisdom in a lot of those things, but that's not something that someone can say. If someone says to you, oh no, if you eat this, you're in sin against God, that's not biblical. I don't have time to talk about that tonight, but that's true. But look if we can, verse number three. The Bible says, here's things we need to understand about that. Let, no, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him that eateth not despise, judge him that eateth. And here's the reason why. Are you ready? For God hath what? Okay. So here's what you understand. Your brothers and sisters, God likes them. He accepts them. 
in their weakness or in their strength, he accepts them. If you have multiple children, you know this. One kid may be upset about the other kid, but the truth of the matter is mom and dad love them both. They're in the family. They may not exactly be all they ought to be, but, but, but mom and dad love them. They're accepted. And what you need to understand about everybody walking around who is a Christian is that God accepts them. He's not mad at them. They may be weak. They may have made some challenging decisions that have complicated him, hurt his name, hurt him. They may be uninformed or ignorant, or they may be stubborn or rebellious, but they're accepted. Okay, that would be a good day in all of our life when we figure out if they're saved, they're accepted. We all like that, right? I love the fact that I'm accepted by the Lord. Well, so is anyone else who's a Christian. If they go to a Bible church and they've accepted Jesus as their Savior, guess what? They're accepted. They go to another church and they accepted Jesus as their Savior, guess what? If they don't cross their T's or dot their I's the same way you would do it, guess what? They're accepted. Number two, they're accountable. Not to me and not to you. They're accountable to God. This is a freeing thing that would help all of us. Look, if we can, please, the next, the, verse 3. The Bible says, not him. Or excuse me, verse number 4. Who art thou then? He said, okay, so if God's accepted him, who are we who evaluates another man's servant? To his own what? Master. He standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holded up, for God is able to make him stand. The second thing is he, he has a master, and it's not me. It's not you. Sometimes I get very disappointed when I see what I perceive as true biblical compromises among the brethren, especially under pastors. I'm not the greatest pastor. I've got so much to learn. I feel like I'm in romper, romper room school, learning. But I have people that I've known for years, and I see compromises being done, and it bothers me. And I have to remind myself, hang on a second, that may disappoint me, and it probably disappoints God, but guess what? I only have one church to pastor. And I am responsible for me, and they're responsible for them, and to their own master, they'll stand or fall. And then he's the one who upholds them, and because his purpose in everyone's life is that they stand. Apostle Paul said this way in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth. He said, I having done all to what? Stand. And you know who keeps us standing? It's not our own abilities. He said, do you think I can figure this out, John? Do I need your help to help someone else stand or to fix their wagon? I can't fix anyone else's wagon. It's not my job to do it. It's the Lord's job. So when I understand, number one, they're accepted by God. They're accountable to God. And... He is the one who assists them to stand. It's his job to uphold them. And this will kind of help us a little bit. I know what I'm saying to you probably hits the fan a little bit. It probably maybe rubs you a little bit wrong. Because I'm not talking about right and wrong, and you're going to hear me preach other times, and I'm going to say some things very plainly, that I think there's some folks who are heretics, some people are false prophets, some people, they, they're making compromises, and we need to call it out and say what it is. I'm talking about general Christianity. There are some things that one person may do that I don't do, but the truth of the matter is when you hit the, when the rubber meets the road, they're accepted by God, they're accountable to God, and they're assisted by God the same way I am. 
Verse number five. The Bible tells us that let, let uh, one man esteemeth one day above another, and another man esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He said, look, some guy gets really excited about this day and that day. He'll tell them in Colossians chapter 3, don't, don't, don't worry about that. But he says, some folks do it. He said, what you need to do is make sure you are fully persuaded in your own mind. That means you've studied it out and you know what God wants you to do. You're persuaded biblically, here's where I stand. I think that's important. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's continue on. Verse number 6. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, and he that giveth, to, giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord, eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, or no man dieth to himself. It's not a bunch of gobbledygook, but what it does say, he said, people can be in different, different um, perspectives on things. And they may be, they, they may, there are different stages of understanding. And we need to, we need to give people wiggle room in their, in their early stages and in their, in their ignorance. Do you know that sometimes, uh, have you ever, you ever thought something at one time? One time I thought that the only place that God rewards a Christian would be in the millennium. I publicly preached that. That that's only for the thousand years. Heaven's the same for everybody for all eternity. But you only get reward in the millennium. You know, I, that, I don't think that's true. I was wrong. I was wrong, and, I, and someone showed me I was wrong. You know, I had to do, I had to apologize. <laughs> I say, you know what? I, I had limited information there. I had only information that I had. And if you live long enough, you're going to say some things that it sounds right at the time, but you'll find out later you were drinking a can of stupidity. <clears throat> it wasn't right. It wasn't true. We're all at different levels of understanding and growing. And he says, look, if one guy is doing this, but he doesn't understand, but he gives thanks, praise the Lord. But remember that no man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether he lived therefore, he's the Lord's. If he dies, he dies unto the Lord. Really, we have nothing to prove, and we have one person to please, and that's the Lord. This, this is talking about personal responsibility. Now, it's not just to God. It is supremely to God, but I also have responsibility to others. He's teaching both concepts here. Let's look, continue, if we can, please, the next verse. Verse number 8, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. And once again, this is our testimony within our brothers that disagree on certain issues that are not black and white. Or at different levels of understanding. Verse number 9, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living Basically, he's going to say, what is, when, when God says he died, he was buried, he rose again, what's he talking about there? The gospel. I think what happens when church members get fired up with each other and judgmental and evaluate each other and we have a negative perspective toward each other, who, who's the big loser in that? The unsaved who haven't heard the gospel. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have. The badge of discipleship the world recognizes is whenever he finds another Christian that would give charitable benevolence to another Christian. And that's something that they can't ignore. They, can't, they can ignore a preacher. They can ignore someone getting up with the Bible and saying, thus saith the Lord. They can take it. It's going to have an effect on them. But one thing they, can't, they cannot do is when a Christian gets along with another Christian, it messes with them. But whenever they see conflict with other Christians, they'll say, you can't even get along. What are you going to tell me? I'm convinced I've witnessed to people who were not successfully saved, and it wasn't really my fault. It wasn't the gospel's fault. It was because of people before that time who had cankered them. I had a situation just, to, just briefly in my life in just the last few hours. And someone told me, so you know what, when I was in fifth grade, my parents got upset with another family in their church, another family in the church with them, and before that, before long, they were out of that church. And now they don't go to a, they don't go to a church like ours anymore. And this lady is probably, you know, she's probably in her 40s now. And a lot of things, and she said it with a tear in her voice. Just because of two, people, two, two families that couldn't figure it out, an offense took place, and they didn't know what to do with the offense, and they dealt with it wrong. And now other situations are complicated because of that. People who could be soul winners aren't because mom and dad won't get in church or they let some offense take place. They didn't see each other as people that are accepted by God, accountable to God, and assisted by God just like we are. And they didn't understand their personal responsibility. What you do doesn't just affect you. You can get mad at me. I'll give you reason to get mad at me. I'm sure if we continue in this relationship... Any longer, there's going to be some challenges. But don't ever leave First Baptist Church because of an offense with pastor. There was someone here long before I was, and it's Jesus Christ. There's things I'll need to apologize for that I won't want to hurt anyone maliciously. Someone the other day tell me, I text you, and you didn't text me back. Join the club. You know, before I wake in the morning, I've got more texts than I can even count sometimes. And sometimes I'm in the middle of texting someone, someone calls me, and I forget to go back. And I'm human. I don't mind responding to people, but they're upset with me because I didn't text them. Let me tell you something. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. Jesus will never not respond. Pastor is not Jesus. If you call him, he'll respond. I may have problems with that. But he will not. And he's teaching us and letting us learn. And you can make a decision on a situation. Well, I don't like this is going. I don't appreciate this. And boy, we make so many decisions as a church family, all whether it be supporting a missionary or checking the temperature in the auditorium or adjusting one of the lights or making one of the speakers louder or doing something or starting school this way or doing this or keeping this employee or releasing this employee or whatever. There's so many things, decisions that are made. That's why the Bible says, great peace have they which love the word of God. The law of God is God. It's Jesus. Love him and then you're not easily offended. You're not easily stumbling over offenses that take place. He said, when you make decisions, you're not going to just affect yourself. 
But you've got to remember it's about the gospel. People will go without the gospel over conflicts among each other. And it's a big deal. And to say to you men, listen to you men who have wives, okay? Sometimes the hurts that come into your home, the wife takes it much more personal. It's just not, it's not wrong. They're, they're tender. Keep talking. Say, honey, listen, we're going to work through this. We've got to trust the Lord with this. We're not going to let this keep us out of doing what God wants us to do. Men, maybe the man. Sometimes I've, I've seen men get very cantankered about different things. And, and they use that for, and you know, it's one of the reasons they say recently, I heard someone say that whenever you, you go to sleep on an angry issue, it goes deeper into your mind and creates more like a web of, of root system within your brain. When you fall asleep and you're angry, you know, it's wonderful. And then, and then it's a stronghold. Then pulling it out really creates more problems. Isn't that wonderful how God says that let not the go down upon your... My God says, don't, don't sleep on an angry problem. Someone's fired you up, get rid of it before you go to sleep. Don't let the root systems grow into your brain and create a stronghold. There are folks right now who are doing things on this Sunday night that used to drive a bus here. They used to manage people. They used to serve the college. They used to serve the church. They used to do all kinds of things in great exploits for the Lord. But you know what they did? They let a little root of bitterness get inside their heart. And they slept on it. And it goes deeper. And they slept on it and go deeper. And they create a huge oak tree that everything is bad because of what happened with a root of bitterness that springs up and troubles them. Because they're not willing to deal with these things with one another. And when you do this, you don't live to yourself and you don't die to yourself. And the gospel is the one who's ultimately affected. Let's look at the next few, few words and we'll conclude tonight. The Bible tells in verse number 10, For why dost thou judge or evaluate your brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? Despise them. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment of Christ is mentioned again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. Uh, we find that the judgment seat is mentioned when Jesus uh, was... was uh, uh, Judged by, by Pilate, you'll see in, in John chapter 19, verse number 13, he calls the judgment seat. It's an evaluation seat. And whose seat are you going to be ultimately evaluated by? The Lord. It's the judgment seat of Christ. Another thing, reason I love the King James Version here, if you look at the NIVs, they change, they change Jesus, the judgment seat of Christ, to, to God and the Lord. They change it generally. By the way, this is a great reference to the deity of Christ. It's softened up in other versions of the Bible. I'm glad we have it strong here. Verse 11, the Bible says, and it is written. He quotes Isaiah 45, verse 23. Read it with me. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee. Verse 12 says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. So here's what was happening. There was a lot of evaluation. You know, you want to get real discouraged. You want to get real depressed. Look inside. 
Okay? Because you don't have any answers. Okay, you want to get, you wanna, you wanna get really uh, uh, defeated? Look behind you at your past. You get real discouraged? Look around you. <laughs> and start comparing yourself among yourself. You want to get encouraged? Look to God. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the Scriptures. Look to walking with Him. That's going to keep you encouraged. You know, the Bible says in, 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 in uh, Romans chapter, uh, no, Hebrews chapter 12, when you're running your race, follow peace with all men, without which no man can see the Lord. What it means, when you run your race, stay in your lane. Don't run looking over, is he getting close to me? No, you're going to run smack into a tree. You're going to get out of your lane. No, no, hey, look over here, look at that guy over there. Hey, where's he at? Forget that. Look to the Lord. Because you get caught up trying to evaluate everybody else. And I, I don't understand it. But I've been there. I've been a critical person at times. But every once in a while I'll get someone who thinks it's their job to send a letter to everybody in fundamentalism about how bad so-and-so is. Wasting time, wasting paper, wasting postage, and wasting potential. When there's someone across the street dying and going to hell, and we're spending time writing a letter about how bad so-and-so is. To me, I just don't think it's right. He said, because we all get to stand before God independently, he said, then don't judge your brother anymore. Quit evaluating everybody else and draw a circle around yourself and make sure things are in the right in that circle. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us, verse 13, let us not judge anymore, uh, his brother anymore, but rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. One thing that you're going to find real quickly, and I'll, I'll give you this, this thought, and we'll, we'll pick up next Sunday morning on this and the rest of the chapter. But when you're trying to think about whether I should do something or not do something, years ago I learned this principle. It's the stop principle. It's an acrostic, S. If I'm going to do this, should I do it, should I not do it, will it be a stumbling block to another brother or sister? Will it, will it cause another brother to stumble if, they do, if I do this, if I say this, if I go there, if I participate in this event? Is it going to stumble another brother or sister? One thing you don't want to do is you don't want to cause anyone else to fall, right? T, will it hurt the testimony of the Lord Jesus? I represent him, number one. Will it hurt the, resp the representation or the reputation of my church family? This church is not First Baptist Church of, of Hammond solely. It's the body of Christ. So will it hurt the testimony? Will I be a stumbling block? Will I hurt the testimony of someone else? And then, oh, others. I've got to think about other people when I make my decisions. Because people are like, we're so selfish. Well, I don't really care what anybody thinks. We've all said that at some dumb moment. I don't care about anybody right now. I just care about what I want, what I want to do. No, one, no one's going to tell me to do it. I got my own opinions. I don't care if you tell, Pastor. I don't care who you tell. That, that, that stupid talk. You know what you, you are supposed to do? The Bible says, look not every man on his own things, but everything also on the things of others. So when you make a decision, you, you're not just by yourself in this thing. Every once in a while I find a clown that, that wants to date a girl or a girl wants to date a guy, and they don't think about 
that, that, that girl's mom or dad, all they think about is getting that girl. They don't think about the years of, of love and attention. They don't think about school tuition. They don't think about senior trips. All they think about is what they want right now. Are your parents telling you that? Well, you just tell your parents. You know, people like that just destroy. They're a train wreck. Because they think all, they're so focused on their own way and their own thinking, not the things of others. So stumbling block, testimony, others, and then lastly, be fully persuaded in your own mind. That means make sure you're right. Make sure you have biblical reasons for why you do some things. You can't always please everybody else. The Bible says, as much as lieth in you live, do the best you can. But if you make a decision and it just, it just seems like it's not exactly meets everybody's opinion, you better be able to say, God told me this and here's what the Bible says. Don't come and say, you know, when I just feel the Spirit of God's telling me, don't, don't give me that junk. Well, the Lord knows how I feel about it and He's just giving me permission. I can live with my girlfriend and it's okay because we don't have the money right now. No, no, no. That's not what God said. You'll be able to go for the scriptures and say, I'm fully persuaded that this is what the Lord wants for me. Not just like, well, God's telling me this. Well, show me where. Just pulling this stuff out and everybody else has to live by what God told you in a dream after you ate too much pizza. We need to look and say, Here, here's where I feel that the scripture is telling me, Pastor, someone share with this. Is this is, am I seeing this right? We're building our own, our own ideas and our philosophies based upon hay, stubble, and not upon the Scriptures. we to figure out what the Bible tells us. Stop. Don't be a stumbling block. Protect the testimony of Christ. Sometimes you do things just because you don't want to hurt others. It may, it may, it may not be fun for you, but it'll be good for others. Every mother knows what I'm talking about. Two o'clock in the morning, wah, wah, wah. It's not good for you, but it's good for them. So you get up and do what you have to do. You look at that pile of smile, that big old laundry, laundry room, all the basket flowing over. It's not good for you, but it's good for your family. You got to do what you got to do because others are involved. And then be fully persuaded in the Scripture.